School of Revival exists to raise up spiritual mothers and fathers to steward this incoming billion soul harvest. In so many revivals over history, all these people get saved and it's amazing, but there's no one there to disciple them, to mentor them in the spirit, to mother and father them. And so my heart is breaking to raise up sons and daughters who will become mothers and fathers who can actually bring these new converts, people that are getting saved left and right into family. I want to invite you to explore running with me and the School of Revival family as we go after Jesus with everything inside of us to partner with this billion soul harvest that he's releasing in this Kairos moment to become burning ones who don't burn out but ignite others on fire for Jesus. We're going to do a special little session right now. I'm so excited. I have a special guest, which I can't wait to introduce you to, but first, uh, let me just uh, say welcome. And without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce you to somebody who I met in North Carolina doing revival stuff. And he has um, such a, a mantle of humility and he's such a father in our generation. And I think one of the first times um, he interviewed me and now I get the privilege to interview him and talk about his new book. So Pastor Alan DiDidio, all the way North Carolina, good to see you. It is so good to be with you and with your community. You guys got, you already know this, but Jen is such a unique gift that every time we get with her, we feel like it's just a perfect connection where it's a perfect balance whenever we get together of what the Lord's given us and what the Lord's given you. And we always glean so much. So we're so honored, so excited to be here. And if you guys probably don't know, behind the scenes is uh, Pastor Alan's <laughs> son named Evan, named Evan. There he is, Evan, after Evan Roberts. Come on. So <laughs> yes. if you get some fun, revival history, loving people together, it's dangerous. I think dangerous. Um, we got to co-teach. We got to um, co-lead a session at a tent revival That's meeting. Right on the Moravians. And that was so powerful. I loved ministering with you. I love your humility and just the, the fire that you brought it was so fun. I'll never forget that day. Well, neither will I. I don't think anyone who was there will forget that day. It was in a tent in the middle of the summer in North Carolina, and everybody was eating the dirt. They were on the floor. The power of God was moving. It was tremendous. Yeah, it was amazing. So I'm so excited um, because I read your book, your latest book, Armed yes. for Victory, and it's by um, Destiny Image, which is also one of my favorite publishers, and it's just a special community, and um, just excited to get a chance to dive into that, because I feel like there's going to be keys for people watching, listening later, that can really encourage them, And um, but I want to open up in prayer first. Yes. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank, thank you. you for everyone who's going to watch this now or later. And we just welcome Holy Spirit, an increased measure of your presence. We welcome the angels to partner with heaven. Lord, would you release keys and tools and weaponry of the spirit as we talk about heavenly things, spiritual things, as we talk about how to position ourselves to step into all that you have for us in our generation, as we talk about what it looks like to be a vanguard as a Joshua generation in this season. And so Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that um, even signs, wonders, and miracles would be released as we just fellowship um, before your presence. And so we just give you this time. We love you in Jesus name. Jesus name. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Well, I have some favorite parts of your I book. I want to hear. I want to know. And I have a favorite chapter, but before okay. I get into any of those, 
I would love for you guys. This is the book, guys. Everyone get it. Armed for Victory. I read it and it's fire. And more importantly, this man is a humble servant of the Lord. And so you're, you're going to receive impartation from who he is and what he's cultivating in his life when you actually pick this up, but also be equipped for stepping into all that God has for you. So before we get into some of my favorite parts, and I want to hear a bit more of the backstory, tell us why did you write this book? What was your burning passion originally for this? Well, it, it hinged on a word that I received, but it was in development for a long, long time. And Jen, you know this, but your audience may not. I, before I was ever a minister, I was in prayer ministry. And so I ran a prayer center. I worked in a prayer center for many years. And in that time, I prayed for more than 100,000 people one-on-one, -on -one, not crowds, just one-on-one, -on -one, 100,000 people just praying with them. And I began to see certain patterns of those who would receive breakthrough and certain patterns of those who would live in defeat. And over the years, I would just kind of keep these, these secrets, if you will, these things kind of in my notes, and I would teach them here and there. But as, as we went into this last season we've been in and what we're coming into, the Spirit of God said to me that my people are not prepared, they are not armed for the battle that's coming, but I am going, here's the word that he gave me, I'm going to open my armory and release weapons that haven't been seen in generations, prepare my people to wield those weapons. And so the, the book takes my experience from praying for more than 100,000 people, I dig deep into military history to parallel that with spiritual warfare. And then I lay out for you prophetically the battles that are coming and the weapons you can use as we, as we move forward in 2023 and beyond. I love it. I love it. So before we get to my favorite chapter, there's a couple of things that stood out to me earlier on that I would love. And it's kind of cool because I'm just reading this, um, starting the Bible afresh in the new year. So I've just been reading about Moses, parting the Red Sea and Joshua. And I love how you, you call us the Joshua generation and you parallel um, the life of Moses as a leader and the life of Joshua as a leader. And you look at some similarities and differences. Could you um, kind of touch upon that? and why you feel that our generation is the Joshua generation. Yeah, well, we've come, I really feel like, I guess your audience will feel this too, that we're on the edge of something. It's like we're on the verge of something. It's like we're standing on Jordan's swelling tide, and we're about to enter into a, a completely new era and new season for the church. And so I think it was, it's really important, and I kind of laid this out in the book, to recognize that as much as we would love to be a Moses generation and have that burning bush experience and, and uh, keep God's people in the wilderness and, and raise up all the things that Moses did, Joshua was very similar in many aspects, as I lay out in the book, but he was drastically different. Whereas Moses needed a miracle to get away from God's enemies, Joshua was looking for a miracle to pursue God's enemy. Moses had a burning bush. Joshua had a gleaming sword as he encountered that tremendous heavenly figure when you, when you begin to get into the book of Joshua. So I think it's important for this generation to know that warfare is inescapable, and this is not a bad thing. It, who cares to fight if you know that you're going to win? But you must be properly prepared. A church that is unaware is unprepared, and we've got to raise our warfare awareness. And part of that is recognizing that we are a Joshua generation. God is calling us to invade enemy-held territory and to take back what the devil has stolen from us, not just sit back and hope and wait that it happens. And so I think God is equipping his saints now to do just that. And that's why it's important that we identify ourselves properly. It's not just the Moses generation. We will receive from the Moses generation. That's part of what you're 
your ministry is all about gleaning from that previous generation so that we can properly pursue the promises of God in the promised land. Wow. Properly pursue the promises of God. That wasn't planned. Yeah. In the, and, in the promised and land. steward them in That's the it, promised right? land. Yes. And I love how you, you mentioned the Lord parted the Red Sea for Moses so he could escape from his enemies and he parted the Jordan River for Joshua so he could go and overtake his yes. enemies. That's a massive shift. And um, for me, and I know our school of revival, one of our marking themes is Joshua chapter three and Joshua chapter four, the stone of remembrances. Mm -hmm. But how he said, we're, you have to follow um, the Ark of the Covenant into the water um, because you're going somewhere you've never been before. Yes. And I feel like as, you know, we all love revival history and uh, man, I've, I've built my life on it. It's changed my life. I do feel like those, um, there's so many keys that we can learn from the past, but what we're stepping into isn't going to look anything like the past. It's going to be no. so far beyond. Um, and we're going somewhere off the roadmap beyond yes. what anyone before us has even gone. You want to just uh, talk a little bit on that? Yeah, it's not, it's not that it's detached from the past. It's mm -hmm. riding on the shoulders. Yeah. of the past. So we're not reinventing the wheel. So if we're, yeah. if we're hoping for revival to look like it did at Azusa Street, then we've mm -hmm. kind of missed the point of Azusa Street. Yeah. Azusa Street was meant to take us somewhere so that from that point, we could then launch into a, another new era. Yeah. And so I think it's really key that we identify and recognize what the Lord did previously. I think that's one of the callings of our ministry as well as to bridge that gap. I think the last 50 years of ministry has almost been lost to the body of Christ through a variety of reasons. They're throwing baby, babies out with bathwater because they don't want to associate with this, that, or the other. But we will not move forward until we recognize that what we're going to do will ride on the revelation of what the body of Christ has received in the last five, six, seven decades. Man, it seems like it's, it's getting longer and older now. I mean, how many of you feel like, you know, 10 years ago, that was the 90s? No, no, that wasn't the 90s, 10 years ago. That uh, we're still in the 2000s, 10 years ago. So, but we need to connect the revival of old. And I think what I, what I saw in my spirit just a few weeks ago, Jen, I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm sure all of you have seen a movie like this where the gasoline is leaking and it's just edging toward the flames. And you know, the, the moment it hits the flames, there's an explosion. That's the way I see this modern day move of the spirit of God. It's inching closer and closer to the revival fire of the past. And the moment those two connect, the moment we connect the principles we've learned from the past with the fire of what's being released today, I think we're gonna see an explosion. So it's not either or, it's both and. And as we move forward, it's, it's not gonna be a revival of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's gonna be a revival that rides on the gifts of the Holy Spirit because that's already exploded. It's already been imparted to us. We've received it. It's not just a revival of, of the abundance of God or the healing of God or faith or whatever. It's, it's going to ride on those things. And so that's why it's not going to look like it has previously. Wow. I could just feel the spirit of God when you were speaking on that pastor Allen. And it just reminds me too of the synergy of the ages and the momentum, the you synergy know, of the ages. Yes. It's like this tsunami wave of revival that's building and building and building upon previous. So it's not just pulling from one revival, pulling from one well, it's all building upon each other. So it's like mm. combustion that's going to be explosive. I love how you use that terminology. And we're, I feel like we're already at the, at the precipice of it. Yeah. Like, I feel like that wave is already, you know, already curled and, and the remnant 
and the forerunners, the vanguarders, the pioneers, they're already there, but the rest of the world and the church is about to be swept either away in the glory or, um, you, you, you know, if they're not rooted in him, they could be swept away into something else. So it's so important that we prepare and train people, which is why I love um, that you're doing that with this book. Yeah. If you guys are just joining us, we're talking, I'm talking with the author of this book, Pastor Alan DiDidio, Armed for Victory, and um, just it's such a part of his life and what he's building. Um, you mentioned a fast in your book, and you mentioned, I think, fasting from news for a year. I'm sure, you know, fa fasting, my last book was on fasting, so it kind of piqued my interest, but can you talk about the role of fasting in your life and how that's had an impact with you? Well, I think when you look at spiritual warfare, the majority of the time, actually in the New Testament, it connects warfare with your old self and your carnality more so than it does with satanic entities or demonic beings. And so although we certainly do warfare against principalities and powers, there's also a warfare against the carnal man and the old nature. And self-denial, as, as my pastor said, self-sacrifices entry-level Christianity. And fasting is the key to unlocking that. And, and that's the, that's the I, I call it the prosperity paradox or the, uh, the um, purpose paradox or the happiness paradox. It's called traditionally, I don't, I don't know what our time frame is, but if I can break this down real fast, we're good. The, the, traditionally, I was reading somewhere where they were talking about the hedonistic paradox. And what that means, hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, that, that the whole purpose of life is for happiness and for pleasure. And it's called a paradox because those who seek their own personal pleasure never find happiness. It's really interesting that if even if you have all of the resources to do that, you're never truly happy. And as they did the research, they found out that only those who actually sacrifice, those who sacrifice for a greater cause or a purpose who are connected to something that's bigger than themselves, a part of a community that they sacrifice for, those are the ones who actually truly find happiness. That's why it's called the hedonistic paradox. It's also the revival paradox. When we seek revival for the sake of revival, um, we kind of miss the entire purpose of it. So fasting, it, it, it bridges the gap of that paradox. How do we discover happiness? Self-denial. How do we discover victory? Self-sacrifice. If, if we want to win the war, the first casualty has to be us. Now, that's, now think about that just for a second. If you want to win this battle, the first casualty has to be you. You have to lay your life down first. We often say, take up your cross and follow him. How about climb up on the cross and, and, and receive the victory that God has by partaking in his sacrifice? And so when we're talking about um, fasting, there's a couple of things that fasting is not just food, although food is paramount. I think we've sacrificed the food fast for a lot of trendy fasts that are just religious diets and they're not fasts. I mean, if you're going to fast, uh, just set the food down. You know what I mean? Just just set it down and drink some water and let the Lord begin to speak to you. But there's also Daniel type fast and living a fasted lifestyle. Remember, Dr. Lester Somal said this. He would he would always leave a portion on his plate of uneaten food. And after someone was traveling with him, they would ask him about this. And, and they said, well, why don't, why don't, wasn't, we didn't even have that much food to eat. Why didn't you eat the food that you have? He said, I live a fasted lifestyle. I'm constantly and continually denying my flesh something. And he developed a lifestyle of that, a habit of that. 
And it opens your, the moment you deny your flesh, your spirit has the capacity. You've increased your spiritual capacity now to hear and receive from God. I liken this all the time. We have three voices that are always screaming at us. Our spirit, our soul, and our body. And the one we feed the most is the one that talks the loudest. And so when you ask God, should I go left or should I go right? Uh, your, your body screams, go left. Your soul whispers, you know, go right. And then your, your spirit just kind of barely can be heard because you only feed it one meal a day. And so that's why fasting is so key. And one of the fasts I did was I did a fast of, I was a news junkie. I don't know how many can relate with that. My name's Alan and I'm a news junkie. And I, I love the debate. I love the news. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And the Lord said, you need to set that down. I mean, I set it down to the point that there was a hurricane coming through and I asked the neighbor, what's going on? They said, don't you know there's a hurricane? I, I don't have a clue because I'm not watching any news whatsoever. And I went more than a year without the news. And what I saw was how blinded that we can easily become through that propaganda machine that's put out there that we call the news. So self-sacrifice is entry-level Christianity. And if you want to win the battle, if you want to get armed for victory, then the first casualty has to be you. Boy, I went all over the place for that. I hope that, did I even answer your question? I was straight up <laughs> fire. Wow. Living a fasted lifestyle. Yeah. And putting yourself upon the cross. Yes. Wow. I think that's an invitation for all of us. Nobody really talks about that. How many no. sermons do you hear of let's embrace a fasted lifestyle? Let's embrace having less so we can have more of him. Now, listen, I'm, I'm all for abundance and the provision of God. Mm -hmm. But here's what Mark chapter 10 tells us. Only those who are willing to lay everything down mm -hmm. qualify for a hundredfold return. Wow. And so that's the paradox. That's the prosperity paradox. If you're pursuing it, yeah. then it will evade you for the rest of your life. But if you'll lay everything down mm -hmm. and live a fasted lifestyle, it'll pursue you. And Come that's on. a completely different paradigm. Wow. Wow. And I think for people watching, it's a good opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit, what does living a fasted mm -hmm. lifestyle look for you today? Yes. Uh, what, what does that look like? Ask the Holy Spirit, get with him and say, okay, we just start a new year. We're in February, 2023. What does it look like this year to live a fasted lifestyle? Um, is there anything he's asking you to give up to gain more of him? Anything he's asking you to in, uh, integrate into your daily rhythm or weekly rhythm, where maybe you have to throw something else out where you feed your spirit. Um, you know, we, as a community, myself, um, we fast Mondays, one day a week, just as a, a way to stay burning, just as a way to stay full of the oil mm. in the fire. So if the Lord calls us to other fasts, we're training our spirits so that we can step into what he's calling us to do. So that's just practical way. Um, I do it. I don't know, Pastor Allen, what would you say um, is a way that you kind of embrace a fasted lifestyle? Okay, so I, this, I'm so glad you asked this. First of all, let me say this, that one day a week thing is so good. And I want to even add to that, a three-string cord is not easily broken. Yeah. When your fasting involves not only denial of the flesh, but the feeding of the spirit, right? That's key. Otherwise, it's just a diet. The feeding of the spirit, and then the cooperation of your pocketbook. If you put those three together, I believe something breaks. Dr. Lester Summerall, we mentioned him earlier, he started a Feed the Hungry program that, that went into war zones and that fed millions of people around the world, and that was their pattern. They would fast one day a week, and take the money they would have spent on the food and put it into feeding the hungry. And they were able to feed millions around the world with that pattern. Here's another way to fast. It is a, it is a purposeful fast 
This is one of my favorite ways to fast because it's a fast in the pursuit of something. So I will say, I'm not going to eat anything until I finish this book and I get everything God has for me from this book, right? Or it could be, it could be the New Testament. It could be the book of Revelation. It could be whatever. Pick a goal of something you want to accomplish spiritually, something you want to consume. Uh, like like um, Sister Jen has so many books that will blow your mind and rock your world, and you just pick one and say, all right, I'm not touching natural food until I've gotten what the Lord has for me. I'll tell you what that'll do. It'll, it'll put a motivator underneath you. After, and you're like, man, I got to read this thing. <laughs> and you'll start, you'll dig into it and you'll get so much from it. It's really hard to receive from God when your belly's full. It's really hard to be hungry for the things of God when your belly's full. So by taking the time to sacrifice that and pursue something, and that's, so instead of a three-day fast or a 21-day fast, which do those things, those are great. We always do a 40-day fast leading up to Resurrection Sunday. But I think one that is that I do regularly that I recommend to everyone is just put a book in front of you and say, all right, not eating until I get all the meat out of this book and come it'll on. change your life. Come on. And this is a great book, guys, to practice. It. <laughs> yeah. Boom. <laughs> yeah. So good. Um, OK, we have got, I, I'm just building the um, the momentum for my favorite chapter. I'm going to wait because there's one more thing I want to talk about before you get there. You did mention something about when people want revival for revival's sake. There, there's no point in that. And also, I want to read just an excerpt, um, page 72, uh, the bottom of 72 of your book. You talk about um, finding the root issues and you talk about discipleship. And I just thought it was really cool. I wanted to talk a little bit more about it. And you say, in the natural, we see a culture that's addicted to the pleasure of, cre of creating life mm. while having an, an aversion to sustaining it. We want the thrill without the responsibility. Where did this come from? It came from a church that got intoxicated with the excitement of revival, but didn't want the obligation of discipleship. We love the exhilaration of our outreaches and the thrill of our revival services, but we have abandoned the responsibility of raising our children. Mm. Wow. That is significant. That's one of the root problems of the Welsh revival not being sustained longer. All these people got saved and there was minimal discipleship. No wow. one to raise these um, babies in the spirit. Can you just share a bit more of your heart um, behind that? Because I thought it was so profound and so so right on with what we're experiencing today. Yeah, often we associate the pursuit of revival with some sort of thrill or exhilaration or manifestation, and that's really not what revival is about. Generally speaking, and you, you can probably speak to this better than I can, what has been lost is a principle that gets revived, a biblical scriptural principle from the Word of God gets revived. Now that gets revived a million different ways. It gets revived through a passion for his presence and a, and uh, through a, a, a vulnerableness and a, a, an awareness of our sin and of the presence of God and a whole host of things that can come. But through that, generally, the purpose of God is to revive a principle. So often we're just seeking revival for revival's sake when actually what, we, what we're seeking is the truths of his word to be revived in our generation, that the revelation of Jesus as laid out in the word of God, would be made real to this generation. And when we're talking about that, and I'm, I'm so glad you referenced that, that we're, we're pursuing these outward manifestations instead of saying, hey, why is he here? What does he show? He showed up in order to impart something to us. He wants to teach something. Remember, he holds his word above his name. 
And so name speaks of a lot of things. It's a revelation of the manifestation of his presence. All that stuff is involved in his name, but he even holds his word above that. And so he's trying to lead us to something uh, and revive something in his word. And I think that's why it's so key that we, when we're seeking revival, we understand that it's actually a principle that needs to be revived on the inside of us. And sometimes that doesn't look like people shaking on the floor. Sometimes it looks like people opening their Bible for the first time in months. They actually open their Bible and begin to read it. What happened? A revival is taking place. It's not as not as fanciful and exciting as, as what we like to see, but it's just as thrilling and can change a culture. That's when culture starts to change, right? That's when society starts to change. And it, and it ripples into the world whenever the church takes that thrill of the experience and it gets translated over into real discipleship and it gets communicated into an actual truth that becomes then a reformation in a nation. Did I answer that question? Yeah, it's, it, it's just the beginning. Revival is just yes. the beginning. Yes. Oh, oh, here's Ch yeah. Chad Norris said this. He says, your breakthrough is in the boring. Your breakthroughs in the boring. And so revival gets your attention and wakes you up and then directs you to the boring disciplines of the Christian life. And what we can get caught up in is the revival lifestyle, which is not how you live your life. You're not always, you know, shaking on the floor and lifting your hands and tears running down your cheeks. There are principles and character gets built on the inside of you where you begin to look like Jesus and act like Jesus and walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus. But so that the revival is supposed to lead us into the boring disciplines. That's what disciple is. It is a disciplined one who is pursuing the word of God daily, digging into the word, living a holy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. These things that are that are vitally important. And I think that's the key, balancing it out with those two. Yeah, and I think many people forget that Jesus lived 30 years of normal life as a carpenter, as a son, yes. as a worker. And that was all preparation for him to step into his God-given assignment. And, but his life wasn't just, you know, the abundant life is not just these incredible highs. It's everything. It's the normal, it's the boring, it's the yes. extreme, it's the suffering, it's the joy, yes. it's the miracles. If we look at um, Jesus as an example. So I just love that you um, touched upon that because I think that's important for people to grasp. Well, before his ministry even started, he said, this is my beloved son in yeah. whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. Come on. Well, he hadn't done anything yet. Yeah. No miracles had been done. No suffering <laughs> had taken place. There's only one thing that we know that he did. Now, this is this will blow some of y'all's mind. There's only one thing that we know that he did. He's 12 years old, and he's in the temple confounding the teachers. His family says, what's the matter with you, boy? We've, we've lost you for three days, just like the nation of Israel has lost him for three days, but he's coming back again. We've lost you for three days, and and you're coming home with us where did jesus want to be he wanted to be in the temple where did his authority want him to be they wanted him to be with him so the only thing we have then is him studying the word and submitting to his natural authority even though he knew more he was smarter than them he was the word made flesh he submitted to natural authority and god said i'm pleased with that and that's part of a fasted lifestyle too submitting to the authorities and submitting to one another as as the lord has called us to do so good and uh so overlooked in our culture but yeah. that's how people will grow when you submit as unto the lord to the people god's put in your life um, it's amazing how you will thrive and grow
So good. Okay. So Pastor Alan, I'm going to get to my favorite chapter now. I want to hear it. I've been waiting, but I'm just curious. Do you have any idea what you think my favorite chapter is? You know, I've started in my mind the whole interview. I've been trying to concentrate on the interview and I've been trying to think, okay, which one is it? Well, the first one that jumped out at me was the evolution of warfare. That would be the first one okay. that I thought of uh, because of the history of prayer mm -hmm. and of revival, how prayer has evolved throughout the last century. But I don't know. You got to tell me. Okay. So the second, do you have the second one? What would the second one be? Oh gosh. I don't know. Let me see. I'm looking at the chapter titles, <sighs> man, militant worship. And okay. the, I don't know. Have you gotten to the appendix yet? Cause the appendix, the vision of Tommy oh, Hicks. Oh yeah. I didn't read through all that, okay. I, but I need but to. That's worth the price of the book. Tommy Hicks okay. vision of the end time revival is it, but no, tell us. Okay. I'll read a quote from it. You, I think you're, I mean, there's so many quotes, the whole thing is highlighted. So let me find, let me find just one, but um, okay. Real victory takes place when we remain in his presence. That's the battle. Once we get in the glory, the Lord fights on our behalf. So the real struggle is to stay in the glory. There are forces all around us 24 hours a day that are trying to keep us out of the glory of God. Whoo, come on. You know, you know what chapter it is. No, well, is it? You got to tell me. Oh, wow. It all it all you merges don't know your own my, chapter. I don't know my own chapter. Is it militant worship? Yeah, chapter seven. Yeah. We are okay. I'm gonna read some more excerpts because there's so much fire in this chapter. We no, are. This chapter is revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. We are warring for the glory of God to preserve the presence of God in our midst. Satan wants to keep us out of the presence of God. It's no. It's no wonder he continually tries to block us from connecting with God. If we look back in our lives, we will see the many times we attempted to get into the presence of God only to have our phones ring, kids scream, something come up out of the blue that had to be taken care of. The enemy is trying to keep us from the glory of God. But if the presence of God is our priority, then worship must be our priority. Hmm. And you start with Second Chronicles 20, one of my favorite, but the whole chapter is surrounded in Psalm 27, though an army besiege me, the war break out against me. One thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. So um, Second Chronicles 20, I think it was November 17th, 2012. I shared a, a little message when I lived in Destiny House. We had just had it six months. We only had one floor at that time. And I, I did a 10 minute sermon on, um, on Jehoshaphat worshiping in the midst of a massive army coming at him. And we made a stake in the ground. That was the first night dance broke out in our community when I was mm. in Redding. Um, but we made a stake in the ground. And so we worshiped every Friday for the next seven years based on second Chronicles 20, no matter what's going on, we're going to worship him because he's worthy and he never changes no matter what's happening in our circumstances. You know, you know, John Wesley was marked because he saw the Moravians worshiping God in a yes. storm. Yes. And because their face was set as flint on Jesus during a storm that catalyzed a revolutionary named John Wesley, who birthed the Methodist movement, Great Awakening. So anyways, that chapter, what you did say, it is revolutionary. It's powerful. Um, and I, I'm so excited to actually hear from you what inspired that chapter, what's your heart behind that, because it's so important. It's so key to what I feel if we focus on worshiping him and staying in the glory, everything changes. Yeah. Well, the approach to worship is 
when we talk about warfare awareness, which is one of the first few chapters of the book and changing how you think about things, for example, when you're going to the grocery store, you can walk into the grocery store without giving it much thought, right? I mean, you can just walk in, you're scrolling through your phone, you've got your list, all these different things. But if someone told you that there were five armed robberies in that grocery store parking lot uh, the day before, you might walk into the grocery store differently. Now you're not scrolling through your phone. Now your head is on a swivel. Now you're looking around. Now you've got your keys kind of protruding through your fist. Maybe you've got your mace in your hand. How you approach it has changed because you're aware of danger. And we must have a warfare awareness. And so what, what I do in this chapter is, first of all, make it clear that the enemy is after your worship. Because he understands that the moment worship is successful, he has lost everything. And so he's going to do what he can to keep you from worship. So we must approach worship militantly. In fact, in fact, whenever, I, I forget where it is in that chapter, where Jesus turned over the tables. I talk about how whenever we have turned the house of God into a den of thieves, we must worship with whips until it has once become, again, a house of prayer. And so worshiping militantly, you change how you think about it. You get forceful about it. You get vigorous about it. And the way this started with me was I was teaching, just his name keeps coming up in this, in this interview here, Dr. Lester Summerall. I was teaching about his missionary journeys around the world, which is like reading the book of Acts. If you haven't read his life story, it'll, it'll transform your life. And I was just talking about, we were joking. I mean, if you've ever been in one of those services where you could sense the presence of God, you knew something was going to happen, this was not one of those services. We're just joking around having a good time. And then I, and I mentioned, and that spirit is on, is on me. And I turned to go back to the platform. And it, in the most dramatic, and I think it's probably the most dramatic encounter with the presence of God I've ever had, the presence of God hit me so strong, I hit the ground and began to wail and travail I couldn't even climb up the steps of the platform. I don't know what happened. I don't know how much time passed. I managed to collect myself. I let someone else close the service. I went back into my office and I closed the door and it hit again and I began to wail. I mean, I began to cry out to the point that the capillaries in my eyes burst and my eyes were blood red for weeks, for weeks afterwards. And I said, God, what are you doing? He said, I'm giving you a warfare vision. I'm, I'm giving you an impartation of militant worship that can push through all of the attacks of the enemy that are trying to hinder you from getting into my presence. Militant worship. I remember after that, turning to, in one of the services, just the worship just wasn't right. And I turned to the praise and worship leader. And I said, no, militant worship. And they looked at me like, I, I don't know. I don't know. This is, this is, you know, 20 years ago. They said, I don't know what that is. And I realized, well, I guess most people in the church don't know what that is. I just had it innately deposited on the inside of me. And so in this chapter, I lay out what militant worship is, its characteristics, that it's zealous, it's forceful, it's vigorous, it's combative, it's disturbing, it's like blind Bartimaeus, it's like the woman with the issue of blood. It's the kind of worship that is not going to allow anything, now get this, even God to get in the way. And what I mean by that is Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. Why? Because he wrestled with God. And because he wrestled with God, he received an inheritance. So we, it's just a white-hot pursuit of the presence of God that is so key, and that's what we walk through in this chapter. I should have known you would have liked that chapter. So worshipers must become warriors is kind of the point of the chapter. Wow, and I just keep feeling the Psalm, Psalm 27 over and over. David, yeah. King David saying, though an army besiege me, though war break out against me, he's 
keeping his focus, his face set like flint upon the face of the Lord and choosing worship regardless of the storm around him. And if you, if you look at the news, right, but maybe people are fasting the news now after your testimony, but if you, if you're a living person, there's storms, there's troubles, there's situations all around, and we can put our eyes on those and whatever we give attention to grows or we can keep our yes. eyes fixed on Jesus in the storm and carry this peace that passes understanding. We could say, okay, I don't care that this stuff is happening. I'm going to be even more fierce and more vigilant to pursue and to worship and to thank God. I mean, Jehoshaphat, right? He sang songs about holiness and praise and thanksgiving. And I love how you pulled this out in your book. This was before the victory. He was thanking God before anything was done. And I think some of us, even listening today, have troubles, have things coming against us. We need to praise God, Romans 8, 28, that he's going to yeah. turn around for good, that he is, if he is for us, who could be against us? And we need to start praising him and trusting him that he's going to turn this trial into gold for our lives and actually go in the opposite spirit of whatever's coming against us. Um, looking at that example of King Jehoshaphat is just incredible. Yeah. And, and, and I even go into the value of volume. Some of you that are listening to this, you need yes. to get loud. You need to get loud because volume serves several things. Number one, it, it affects confidence. Only those who are confident are loud. Number two, it affects your concentration. If you've ever been driving down the road and you're trying to figure out where you are and you tell them to turn that radio down, you're trying to think because it affects your concentration. You need to get so loud that you can't even think about the lies that the enemy has been putting. All you can think about is the praise that's coming out of you. And finally, conquest. Shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. That is the voice of conquest with the blood of your enemies dripping from your sword, dripping from your shout, and it'll paralyze your enemy, that kind of praise. And so when you, it's important that you just, when you mingle faith, that's why it's so key what she just said, that before you see it, because when you mingle Mark 11, 24, faith with a shout of victory everything changes well i noticed that part of volume in your book and how significant that is in certain moments in our life um yes. i i like silence i like yes, not always and i love <laughs> i love how you even mentioned psalm 46 and and said how there's time and place for that but then there's yes. also time to shout and praise and be confident and use the authority God's given us. And so I think regardless of personality type, I think there's a key in that. Um, there's moments in prayer. We need to jump and shout and dance and praise. And, you know, we need to really um, be vigilant to go after the kingdom um, and partner with heaven. So I love that point of the volume. That was so special. And if you're generally, it's interesting how the Lord will, find whatever you are most uncomfortable with yeah. and that'll be what he uses as the weapon against the enemy yeah. and so often we we gravitate toward what we're comfortable with yeah. and uh, if if you're comfortable with silence then he'll use a shout to set you free but some of you are just loud and you're just comfortable with that and everybody <laughs> knows you're loud and you're always loud and silence is going to be what brings your breakthrough so it's it's all about just kind of yielding to the holy spirit and making room for all of these things to function in you and through you i love that and i, I love how you mentioned the, the combative and disruptive nature of going after the Lord, how, you know, the, the woman with the blood just broke all the protocols to touch yes. the of Jesus garment. The, the people that wanted the paralytic to be healed broke someone's roof 
to yeah. get that person into Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus didn't listen to the disciples. Um, you know, the woman with the alabaster jar, she poured out the most expensive ointment and Jesus' best friends even condemned her, you know? Okay. So um, there is something radical and disruptive sometimes about following the Holy Spirit wholeheartedly. What can you say about that, Alan? Well, the religious system will not abide what we're talking about. And that's why you've got to make sure you're with the right tribe. You don't want to be around people that are going to kind of quench this. You want to be around people that that encourage it and that allow for it. And so that's why these revival communities that you have here are so vitally important. So you can get around people who are more disruptive than you, who are who are willing to enter in more than you are. And it's always challenging. So get around crazy people, you know, who just, just love Jesus. They're just nuts for the Holy Ghost and let them challenge you. And I, those steps, it's always some sort of, all throughout the New Testament, the people who received their breakthrough were people who stepped outside of the norm and did something extraordinarily uncomfortable. And it was visible to everyone. No one questioned whether or not Bartimaeus had faith. No one questioned whether or not the one with the issue of blood had faith. They all did something. And one verse says, I think it's when they tore the roof off and he saw their faith. So is your faith visible? Can it be seen? If you were tried in a court of law, could you be convicted of faith in the first degree? Is there enough evidence that you're operating in faith? If there's not any evidence, well, that's something we need to work on. Come on, straight up fire. Wow. <laughs> I'm reminded of a, a quote around Martin Luther King Jr. era, Rosa Parks. And it was something to the effect of well-behaved women seldom make history. Uh, at the life of Rosa Parks, where she's like, you know what, I'm done. And you look at all the, the lives of these um, people who went after Jesus, regardless of the fear of man, and they were men and women of great faith. They had their hearts set on the Lord and offended the religious spirit of the day. And sometimes we have to do that because Jesus is always worth it. Yeah, Samuel Adams at the founding of this nation said, it does not take a majority but an irate minority bent on setting brush fires in the hearts and minds of men and women. I think, I think it's time. I think God is raising up an irate minority who are wow. bent on setting brush fires in the hearts and minds of men and women. Come on. Would you just pray? That's the heart. My yeah. heart is to call the hungry of hungry, the burning oh, ones. Would you just release a, a prayer of impartation and blessing over everyone watching who's going to watch, who's going to read your book. In the name of Jesus, just lift your hands right there where you are. Some of you, the enemy has robbed you of your fighting spirit. He has wearied you. And in the name of Jesus, I break his power now. I break every deception, every lie of the enemy, every bit of depression, anxiety, every bit of heaviness that has come on you from the enemy. I break it now in Jesus' name. And I release a refreshing spirit into your heart and into your life. Your spirit to fight is being revived now in Jesus' name. And I pray a spirit of might come on you, that you will be strengthened. You will not grow weary. You will not get tired. You will not get weary in well-doing, but you will pursue the things of God with a white-hot passion you never even imagined was possible. I pray that fighting spirit be revived on the inside of you now in the name of Jesus. Ah, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, there is a boldness coming on some of you. There's been too much timidity. A timid faith will be intimidated. There's a boldness being released right now in Jesus' name, an impartation of faith is taking place right now. Receive now an impartation of faith to overcome in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I really do feel that.
Wow. I can feel it too. Come on. An impartation wow. of faith. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Whew, yeah. I just received this guys. Mm. Uh, something was just received. Just, you know, you want to put your hand on your heart just to like seal what the Lord has just um, released through pastor Allen's heart, his life. And just this, the, the, the fighting spirit that you're born for, you're born with um, to overcome because you're an overcomer, that that would be revived and resurrected. And the spirit of God would just blow fresh fire and flesh, fresh wind upon your spirits. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. Oh, so fun to be together with you, Pastor Alan. And I just want to encourage everybody watching, get this book, support him. He's got a book before this about encounter as well, and maybe more, more to come. Um, but, uh, also he's got some amazing videos, interviews with some of our friends. I know Lou and a bunch of other people are there. Um, and where can people, if people want to um, find your church or find your media or find your website. How can they get in contact with you? Encountertoday.com. You can find everything there, our app, our, our podcast, Encounter Underground podcast, where we have uncensored conversations with lots of leaders like yourself. And we've got, um, uh, let's see, Encounter Today on YouTube, which just is about to cross. It just crossed a quarter of a million Wow. subscribers we're almost you, to 290,000 subscribers i love what you said you said uh, the billion soul harvest we just reached uh, the other day this was just the other day and almost in just over a day a million people in just over a day wow a million people through our media in just over a day wow. hallelujah come on so we're, we're believing not Ooh. just to reach them to win a million every day come on come a million on. christians Ooh. set on fire a million souls saved a million people baptized in the wow. holy ghost set free Come we want on. to win a million every day. And so by them tuning in, it wow. helps us do that. So check out EncounterToday.com. Yes, guys. Up there for you. Yeah, get this book. Get, get it to your friends. Go through it together. Do a group with it. Um, check out his media. So into what God's doing in their ministry. They're taking media back for the kingdom. Yes and utilizing it for our generation and really have a call anointing to um, touch millions of people, maybe billions, right? Come Through on. what God's stewarding in their life. They are good soil. I've been out there. I've been at the church. I've been in their studio. I've got to have dinner. I've got to connect. These guys are family. And these are people I trust. I believe in um, just a such humility and character and people I believe in. So please, if you feel stirred, partner so into what God's doing in their life. And um, thank you so much, Pastor Allen, for being a part of this yeah, it's, time it's together. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a blessing.